Are you as passionate about local governance and municipal issues as I am? Well, then the Cross-Border Interviews is your show. We are here to provide you with exclusive insights and thought-provoking conversations focusing on municipal matters from across Canada. And now, you have the chance to be part of our incredible journey. By backing our show for as little as $3 per month, you can help us grow and bring more exciting content to your ears. Now, you might be asking yourself, what sets the Cross-Border Interviews apart from other shows. Well, we're not your average show. We dive deep into the unique challenges, successes, and innovative solutions of municipalities from across Canada. We bring you unbiased, unfiltered conversations about municipal issues from coast to coast to coast. By supporting our show, you become an essential part of our mission to amplify the voices of local leaders and shed light on the issues that matter most to our communities. Together, we can foster meaningful change and create stronger, more vibrant communities within our great country. Simply visit our website at crossborderinterviews.ca and show your support today. No matter how small, your contribution makes a significant difference and allows us to continue producing great shows, like the one you're about to hear. Together, let's make municipal issues matter again. This is the Cross-Border Interviews. Welcome to the Cross-Border Interviews, the show where we sit down with local elected leaders from all across Canada. Over the course of this episode, we'll be learning about who our guest is, what drives them, and how they are working to make their community a better place for everyone who lives there. Now, we are honored to welcome to the show from the town of Orangeville, Ontario, Mayor Lisa Post. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. It, it is going to be fun, and I like guests <laughs> who think this is a fun, ex exciting exercise. So I want to start with the basic question I've asked every single municipal politician who's ever come on this show, so you're no exception. Where did your sense of duty to serve your community come from? That's always such a good question, um, because I think everybody who gets into municipal politics has a why. Um, and for me, it was a little bit two-sided. So um, I was raised in a very political family. Uh, my family was, we talked politics at the dinner table. Um, we, I, My grandfather, actually, who was from Caledon, which is only about 10 minutes south of us, um, he was a municipal councillor. He was a school board trustee. He was, he actually sat on the very first Peel Council as a regional councillor um, when Peel was first formed. Wow. So there was always this duty in my family or understanding in my family that the best way that you can be a part of your community is to give back to it in some way. So whether that was through politics or volunteerism, there was always a sense of duty to make sure that you were a contributing part of your community. Um, additionally, I, you know, a mom of two kids and being a middle class um, mom with a hus working husband working, you know, both of us worked kind of crazy hours at the time. It was I learned some of the difficulties, I guess, of raising a family in this community, and I wanted to make sure that the community was set up in a way that my kids could raise their kids here, that we, you know, I'm fifth generation in this community, and I want that to continue. I want my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to feel like they can also be a part of this community. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, and I want to I'll be talking <laughs> about the town of Orangeville a little bit later about the issues that are going on, but I want to stick with you. 
And I want to know why municipal, because at the end of the day, you could have chosen many different levels of government. You could have chosen provincially, you could have chosen federally to give back, but also to help raise that community that you talked about for your kids. But at the end of the day, you chose municipally. What was the decision behind getting involved municipally? Was it just your grandfather and his backstory of being on the Peel region, being a municipal councillor? Or was there an issue going on in your community that you said, we need to fix this and I need to be at the table to help fix it? I think the understanding of how government works, which I was raised with, was really helped me help to drive me to municipal. I understood pretty quickly that municipal was how I could impact the community the fastest. Typically, provincial government is an arm's length and federal government is two or three arm's lengths that to really impact change directly in your community it's a long process and sometimes it's a tumultuous process and sometimes it's years and years and years and nothing moves where at a municipal level if there's an idea going on in the community and sometimes it's about speeding on a street or making sure that you know we have an extra water infrastructure to handle our growth or fixing the potholes or the sidewalks those things we can impact relatively quickly and i know even sometimes there's a bit of red tape to get around in a municipal world but it's much faster than trying to impact change at a provincial level or a federal level. Um, I, I, I feel like I need to pay Scott Pierce every time I use his quote, the president of FCM, but municipal governance is the government of proximity. And I think it's Absolutely. the best quote that I could ever imagine. In your time in municipal government as mayor, I'm not sure if you were elected prior to this as a councillor because I try not to do a lot of research on the guests because I want my, my, my listeners and my viewers to learn as I'm learning. Perfect. What have you learned about the role of municipal governance since you've been elected as the government of proximity to quote Scott Pierce? I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that every decision you make impacts people almost immediately. So I would say for the good you know, and bad. For the good and bad. I think, you know, it's definitely for the good and bad. And you know, you'll hear two sides of every issue, but I think you can see the impact on both sides of an issue almost immediately with municipal government. So a good example is during my last term, I was a councillor. So I was a councillor for one term ahead of time. I was first elected in 2018. Um one of when people ask me what was the biggest accomplishment and there were many there are many things that we did during that term that i'm really proud of but one of the things that i would say emotionally and as a human being that was most impactful for me is we were able to petition myself and another counselor of the time who's now the deputy mayor were able to petition the rest of council to get a guardrail built in a specific area of our community because there had been several accidents in that area resulting in a vehicle going into somebody's backyard and actually hitting their house so myself and the and the counselor of the time now deputy mayor sat in this woman's house with her family well, she cried about not being able, having that feeling that she couldn't keep her own family safe as a result of this ongoing issue. So the most impactful thing was being able to get that guardrail installed, hearing the thank you from the family, and then just a couple of months ago, getting a photo from her of an accident that had happened in that exact area where the car hit the guardrail and didn't land in her backyard because the guardrail stopped it and getting the additional Thank you. Like this didn't keep me up at night. I feel bad for the, the family that is impacted by the accident, but the vehicle's not in my backyard. Now that's a unique issue in itself, but I can imagine there's many countless other stories that you have that you can pull out and say, Absolutely. I've helped the community this way or that way. 
but you and I both know that you can't help everyone. And I, I mean that with all respect because Absolutely. there's financial considerations that you have to think as mayor. How do you balance that aspect of the job as mayor, as counselor of your community that you know you try your best to help everyone, but at the end of the day, some people are not going to be able to get helped or they're not going to be able to get help till next year or the year after due to financial constraints? And that's a tough one. That's probably one of the <laughs> hardest things to figure out along the way, honestly, because, you know, as they call us municipal politicians, but I have a struggle with the term politician because I think we're all just community leaders. We're just community members who are trying to, to sit together and try and accomplish something positive. Um, but it is one of the hardest things. And I think that even more so during this term, even over last term, it's becoming more and more difficult. Affordability is harder. The cost of everything is more. Um, we see and hear stories of our residents who are really impacted financially. And we have to do even more due diligence than ever before to try and really keep our costs tight. And the cost of capital projects and infrastructure has doubled or tripled in the last couple of years since I was first elected. And that's a reality where we do have to be really tight on on what we're trying to impact. So it is a tough balance. I work with my towns. We've got amazing town staff here to really figure out where the priorities are. We work on a multi-year budget to try and really prioritize the key pieces that need to be done. Um, but at the same time, it is hard to have to say to a family, you know what, it's not in the budget this year. We're going to keep monitoring it or we're going to maybe there's another fix that we have that might be a temporary solution. But you're right. It's one of the hardest pieces. And as mayor, you can't look at the individual issues at the at the end of the day. You have to look at the town issues. What's best for the town? And I, I spoke to uh, Deputy Mayor uh, uh, Sean Lewis of, of the City of London and uh, Oxford County Warden Marcus Ryan recently, and they called me out on using uh, Spock's uh, quote from Star Trek Wrath of Khan. How do you weigh the needs of the many with the needs of the few? Because you uh, you probably get inundated on a regular basis with a lot of individual issues. My sidewalk needs to be updated. Yep. My street needs to be plowed. The pothole in front of this business needs to be fixed tomorrow. But you have to look at the needs of the many and look at the town as a whole. Is it challenging to balance that aspect of the job, particularly in the government of proximity where you go to the grocery store and People know who you are. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, you're exactly right. Um, it is difficult. It's a really hard one. And I would say that we're not unique in our situation here in Orangeville, where over the years, past number of years, in many, many municipalities, infrastructure has been um, put on the back burner. People haven't invested because a lot of times it was easier to make a campaign promise about holding the line on taxes and cutting capital projects, right? So infrastructure has been neglected. So I've got people emailing me who have said, I've got a crack in my sidewalk that's still there seven years later. And I've, you know, they keep coming and spray painting orange paint on it, but nobody's actually fixing it. So I think one of the things that our council is trying to do, and we're really committed to doing is being better at our asset management planning, because I, I think it's something that maybe historically we didn't do a super great job of, and we're paying the price for it now. So I think as we go forward through this term and in the next term, we've got a lot of catching up to do, and there's going to have to be some tough decisions made about how we move forward and prioritize those projects. And maybe it's that we invest 
X number of dollars into a sidewalk fixing project because we know that we're hearing a lot of these issues. So I think we need to be more purposeful on how we plan those pieces because it is really difficult to have to say no to the resident who you know has been complaining about the same sidewalk crack for seven years. You talk about the tough decisions that you have to make. Every time you walk into that council chambers, you have to make the tough decisions and you have to go home and be content with how you voted or how the decision went, because sometimes you may be on the receiving end of not going your way or going your way. How much responsibility do you put on yourself to be informed on what administration has put in the council package, informed on what residents in your community want, but understand that at the end of the day, you have to make up your mind and you have to live by the consequences and sort of live by the yay or nay vote that you make. Absolutely. And it's a fine balance between those two because you have the um, kind of anecdotal stories that you hear from the community about some of these issues. And then you get the technical black and white engineer's answer, right? So I think that the the best answer usually falls somewhere in the middle. The best decision for the community is usually somewhere in the middle. And, you know, I, I trust and rely on my town staff 100%. I am not an engineer. I am not a road expert. Who am I to say that that sewer doesn't need to be replaced? So I put a lot of onus on myself to make sure that I do the work, that I ask the questions, that I can with the community. And again, I would say that consultation with community is something that we probably haven't always done a great job of. And when I knocked on doors through, I've, I've now run in three elections, um, two, two successfully, but um, the, the comments from the public are that I don't feel like I'm connected to the government. I don't feel like anybody asked me before they do things. I feel like I'm told after the fact. And whether that is reality or perception, perception is reality. So we need to do better. We need to do better at trying to reach people. So there's a couple of things that I do with every council package. So I try to use my social media in a way to inform residents on what's coming. Um, and I use multiple platforms. I, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. I found out that the grade six students in Orangeville really like my TikTok. So that's really good. <laughs> but I use those methods to try and get out and talk to people and understand where they feel on the issues. I've started hosting town hall forums to do open Q&A. Come and ask us anything. We're approachable. Come and talk to us. Um, so that's something new. We've just had our first one a couple of months ago or last month, I guess. I'm going to interject for a second here because sure. you have just brought up something that I have been passionate about. And I think this is the reason why I focus more on municipal politics than the other levels right now apathy there's a huge apathetic nature in this country when it comes to totally. municipal local governance when you're hosting those q a when you're asking residents for their input are they giving it to you are they actually willing to have that conversation with you or is is it just falling on deaf ears so I'd say there's a little bit of both. So the first time I ran for council was in 2014 and I was unsuccessful as my first run. But when I knocked on doors, what I heard from residents is I don't care. I don't vote here. or <laughs> I don't vote in municipal elections. I only sleep here. I work in Toronto. I don't, you know, they weren't connected to the community because we are a bedroom community. We're an hour from everything. So most people commute. So they weren't feeling connected to the community. And my instant thought was we need to change the way that we do things because this matters. Like these decisions matter and it didn't matter how much at a door I was trying to say to people no this matters this is 
important. They didn't care. They know that at the end of the day, they're going to drive to Mississauga or Toronto. They're going to go to their job. They're going to come home. They're going to sleep. And maybe they're going to go to their cottage on the weekend. So we had to find different ways to connect. So when I was unsuccessful at running for council, I actually started a blog. And the reason for my blog is that I attended every single council meeting, partially for me because I wanted to learn, but partially for the community because I wanted them to get my perception on what was happening in a council chamber. I wanted to make it digestible so that it wasn't all legalese. Like I don't want to point people to the website and go, well, go read the agenda and the reports. If I could put together a thousand or 1500 word blog post immediately following that said, these are the key points. These are the hot issues. This is what's, this is how I would have voted if I was sitting at the table. So I, I was able to inform people and it actually became really well read. I was very surprised. I didn't know how it was going to go when I started it. But when I ran the second time in 2018, people are like, oh, you're Lisa, you're the blogger. I love your blog. I love reading what's going on. And as a result, I feel like they started to get more connected to some of the issues, not all of them and not everybody, but I was able to reach people in a different way. And now because people know that I'm sincere about my engagement, I'm not talking about community engagement because it's a, it's a good buzzword. It's because I'm sincere and wanting to know how you feel about our community and what your ideas are to bring it to bring it to the table. Um, what are some of the things we should be thinking of that I'm not thinking of? So when you have sincerity behind your community engagement pieces and you're not doing it simply to check a box, I think it matters. And the first town hall meeting that we had was just last month. It was pretty well attended. We had about 55 people come, which was great. That's huge. Everybody was, <laughs> it's huge. And everybody was polite. They were all really respectful. I had a couple of experts from town staff who were there to answer the technical questions. Myself and two of my counselors were there to help on the political side. Um, and it was great. People were willing to ask anything. They got good answers. I was able to connect them with the right town staff. They were able to hear kind of the political side, but more importantly, they were able to hear the technical side of why or why not an issue is happening, how or how it's not going to be fixed. Um, and it was able to help guide their expectations, I guess, a little bit on how those, how the process works. So I hope that the next one will be even more, more well attended. Um, we did it live on Instagram. So we were actually getting some questions through Instagram as well. So we were trying to find different ways to connect. And it was a campaign promise that I made as mayor. And it's what I'm going to stick with. I want to talk, continue on this apathetic uh, talk point here for a second, if that's yeah. okay. For sure. And you, you talk about the issues that were being raised with you, whether it be, I'm assuming, local issues, but there's an apathetic nature on understanding what the jurisdictions that the governments are responsible for. <laughs> and for those who are listening, the mayor just smiled a little bit. So I'm assuming she knows the question that I'm about to ask. When you ha have people approach you and talk about issues in your community, are they talking about the right jurisdictions are they talking about orangeville issues are they talking about provincial issues are they talking about even federal issues and how do you as mayor if you do get those provincial school board or even federal questions how do you pass them off to the right people without feeling like they're not their issues aren't being heard from the mayor because they've elected you to address their issues no matter what jurisdictional level it is Absolutely. And that's a tough piece. It's it's a really tough piece, especially with some of the partisan politic issues that we've got right now. There's a lot what? of really what are you talking about. There's no partisanship in this country. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Kumbaya. I would say that in the five years now that I've been doing this, it's become even more divided than it ever was before. And I'm sure you're seeing the same thing. So um quite often I get a lot of questions that are 
angry at a level of government for whatever it might be um, and feeling unheard from that level of government. So last ditch effort a lot of times is reach out to the mayor and see what she can do, right? So quite often what I'm trying to do, and I, I laugh because I say a big chunk of my job is connecting people. And it really is because a lot of time it's just helping guide people to the right place to get the answers to the questions that are plaguing them. So what I try and do is not to do a simple pass off. I try to say, here's what the municipal responsibility is in that issue. And here's how Orangeville is addressing it. However, the bigger component and where I know your concerns are lying are with the provincial. I've tagged in our MPP or I've tagged in our MPP's executive assistant or whatever it is, and they're CC'd on this issue as well. So now they can follow up, but I make sure to flag those in my email because I want to make sure that I'm following up with them to make sure that they've gotten an answer. Because if they haven't, I'll loop back and try and help them to continue to make that connection. My last question on this segment about who you are in the role of mayor is the personal and public life of a mayor. You are mayor of your community and you're not going to Toronto, you're not going to Ottawa to do your job. You're making the decisions within your community and the day after you may have to go run and grab a carton of milk. You may want to go out with your kids or your husband to go to dinner or just to go to a park and just play for a few days for a few hours, I should say. But People will stop you, and I'm assuming they have stopped you and asked you your opinion or their your time. Have you found the work-life balance of a mayor daunting? It has its moments, and I would say when some of the big, big issues are happening, it's harder. Um, I also tell my family that I know I'm not the most fun person to go public places with. Like, if we're going to go to the Blues and Jazz Festival, I know you don't want to hang out with me because I'm going to get stopped. It's going to take me forever to get down the street, and that's okay. So I think I've got a very supportive family on that piece, which is good. But there are times where the work-life balance can be challenging. And often I have said to people, the best way for me to address this for you is for you to send me an email because then I can at least follow up with it. I've got a chain of, of, of documentation that I can follow up with. And it's the way that I'm going to best be able to address your issue in the long term. I can have an off-the-cuff conversation with you in the grocery store, but the best way for us to get a solution together is for you to just send me a quick email That'll jog my memory because I have a lot, I've got a lot of balls in the air and it'll give me some accountability to make sure that I'm following up with it as well. So I've tried to be really diligent in making sure that I get people to email me. <laughs> Are people willing to email you or people, because you talk, we talk about the apathy and you talk about the first uh, campaign that you ran and people, you were going to the door and people were saying, ah, it's not my issue. You're, uh, I, I drive to Toronto and I just live here. It's a bedroom community. Are people willing to understand that the best way to communicate with you sometimes is through email and stopping you is great, but to get do the proper due diligence as the mayor, you have to have that sort of paper trail in some sense. For the most part, I would say most people are completely willing. I carry business cards with me all the time. And on my business card, they not only get my email address, but they get my personal cell phone number. So they can contact me. politicians and giving out their <laughs> personal cell phone numbers. I have gotten more personal cell phone numbers from across this country doing this show than I ever did when I lived in, worked in provincial politics. I'm just shocked. Absolutely. I'm approachable. I, and that's, that's part of, I think, why people are comfortable having conversations with me. And because I'm, I'm honest with them. That's all I can do. I, I try to be as honest and try to 
I guess, gauge their, their understanding of how it's going to move forward and make sure that they're bought into what, how the process works. And I don't, I don't mince my words when I say sometimes it takes us a long time to get something solved. So if you can do your due diligence and send me the email so I can connect you to the right staff members, um, I don't have the answers for everything. And I don't have the budget in front of me to tell you if we can fit your problem into our budget this year. But if you can send me an email and follow up with me and you know what, nudge me along if I, if you need to, you've, you're probably my friend on Facebook. You've got my personal cell phone number. You can always flip me a text to say, hey, do you have an answer on that yet? And I'm okay with that. But if I can follow it through the proper channels with town staff and make sure that I've got a paper trail, it's better for everybody. I want to turn now to the second segment, and, and this is about the town of Orangeville as a whole. And before I uh, ask the first question, I'm going to preface it by saying this is a conversation between the mayor and myself. This is not a direction of council. This is not a motion of council. We get emails about this question on a very regular basis for some strange reason. But Interesting. Lisa, in your opinion, what is the biggest issue, in your opinion, facing the town of Orangeville today? Immediately, I would tell you that... Yeah, I'm going to give you a couple because I think a couple of them go together. So affordability and housing are two big components. And there's a couple of branches that fall off of that. So Orangeville is in a bit of a unique situation in compared to some of our neighbors around us. So our settlement boundary and our geographic boundary are exactly the same thing right now. So we're grown out as far as we can grow. Um, The province has mandated us to continue to grow another 7,000 people, which means that, which is not a huge number in comparison to some of our neighbors, but when you're growing from 31,000 to 37, 30,000 to 37,000 ish, it's a, it's a tough one when you've got nowhere out to grow. So we All of ours are infill developments, which as I'm sure you've heard from municipal politicians, if you've been doing this a while, those are the ones that are the most contentious. They're the ones where you get the most NIMBYs who are saying, like, we know there's a housing crisis, but we bought this house knowing that we were in this kind of community. So those ones can be really challenging, but it's really all we've got as an option, unless we want to start annexing from our neighbors. Don't worry, Amaranth or Kaladin, that's not a suggestion that I'm making right now. I'm hitting them on the show next week. Come on, I'm pulling them out. (laughs) That's right. So unless we start doing that, though, we've got no other option than to do infill development because these provincial mandates are mandated. We we can't say no thank you to the province. We have to just move forward. So that piece is challenging because we know that there's a housing crisis and we want to be able to do our part, but there's only so much we can do with our limited real estate. Um, the affordability component is huge because housing affordability here is really challenging and it's Frustrating as a municipal politician when you hear comments from the provincial leaders who are saying things like, the only thing that's going to fix the affordability crisis is if we build more houses. And that's this much of the problem. That's not the problem. Because if if I build 10,000 or 15,000 more homes and they're $800,000 one bedroom condos, those aren't affordable to anybody. And the the realist the the number of houses is part of the problem but it's not the only problem and my fear is that at the provincial level that's the only piece that they're working on trying to solve and they seem to have um, a closed-minded approach at it that if we can fix inventory it's going to fix everything and i think there's so much more to it additionally as a, a newly elected mayor having bill 23 move through one day after the election um, without proper consultation to the municipalities was really frustrating because it put us in a position where 
so many more costs are being downloaded on us. There's a much higher expectation without having the access to the same levels of development charges that we had in the past. We don't know fully what the extent of that, that cost is going to be to us. And we're now dealing with trying to manage infrastructure that I've already said is double the price, but now we have more responsibility for it because we're not getting as much help from the province. So those, and, and it's hard because we need to hold the line on taxes as much as we can, but how do we address the infrastructure problems and all of the service level pieces that we have to do and hold the line on taxes? Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. And I know we have a short period of time left, so I wanna try and get through this as quickly as possible. How do you do this? How do you fix this issue? Because um, you have just given me three different reasons why the issue is not going to go away. First being yep. NIMBYism. Second being the provincial government telling you to do more with less. Third, yep. it's just unrealistic to get it done in a short period of time in the time frame that you have, particularly in Orangeville, where you have literally nowhere to go but up. And I'm assuming the NIMBYism factor plays into it as mayor, as council what is the first step or what are the steps that you're taking now to try to alleviate some of these issues? Because it's not going away. And if you don't do it, the province is going to come down with their heavy hand and say, well, if you're not doing it our way, we're going to, we're going to tell you to do it our way. And we're going to make sure you do it our way. Well, so some of what we're doing, so as a mayor of Orangeville, I also get to sit on Dufferin County Council and there's eight municipalities that are part of that. So there's 15 of us who sit there, um, myself and the deputy mayor sit and we're the largest urban center within Dufferin County. So we have a fairly high weighted vote at, at the county level as well. And one of the things that we're doing, we're a pretty progressive group now at the county, which I would say maybe wasn't always the way. There was a lot of county municipalities wanting to hold on to their own little piece of the pie and not be willing to have conversations about better shared services, better um, affordable ways to go into to projects together. They wanted to just say, no, I'm gonna put my blinders on and I'm only gonna worry about my municipality. And Orangeville in the past was guilty of it as well. So I would say we've got a, a really great opportunity now with some progressive folks at the table who are willing to have conversations about how we can do things better. So the first one is that there's going to be a motion coming to the county very soon at, um, with, within the summer, talking about how we can better share fire services. Orangeville is doing a lot of the fire services right now, and we've got one-off contracts with some of the municipalities where we're offering them service and we're getting reimbursed for it. But if we upload that potentially and run a countywide fire service instead... Can we do it cheaper? Can we do it with better service? Can we, and some of it's affordability, but some of it's also better service for our residents. So I think pieces like that, when it comes to affordability, if we've got a group at the county level and at the local municipal lower tier level who are willing to think creatively, find different ways, look at different solutions, look at how we can better collaborate and partner. I think we have an opportunity to save some money, to offer better services, and that can free up some of the other burdens that we're getting in other areas of our budget. So if we can be creative about our budgeting and really try and find those, we don't have a lot of options on how us at our level fix this problem. So we have to be creative. And I think we have to be thoughtful in our budgeting and really find creative ways to work collaboratively with other municipalities. You talk about the affordability issue, and it is an issue that's not just affecting uh, Orangeville or even Dufferin County, but all across Canada. 
And yep. it seems like the other levels of governments, the federals and the provincial government, forget that there's only one taxpayer. And you can That's only right. get money for uh, blood from a stone or water from a stone once. How do you, as municipal leaders, deal with the affordability issue that's a, so not crippling? I should not ever say crippling, but that is making your lives a lot harder than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, heck, even four years ago prior to the global pandemic. So here's one thing that's kind of cool is that because we get to work with organizations like the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and with the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, we get to do some advocacy work. So most recently, I attended the FCM conference in Toronto um, just last month, and we as a as as a group put together a motion to petition the federal government to put together a framework that works better for municipalities when it comes to funding framework. So that's a very cool piece that if we can make progress on that, um, because although people pay the least amount in property taxes of what they are taxed in everything else, we're the ones who probably hear it the loudest because when you, you get the bill right to your house that says this is how much your property taxes are going up. And although the dollar amount over the course of a year is significantly less than what it is in when you're paying provincial taxes or federal taxes or income taxes, it hits different. It feels different in the pocketbook. And it, it it's a challenging piece because you're right. The only way that we get money is really from the taxpayers. Most of our budget is funded by tax dollars. We don't have another source of, you know, product tax or income tax that we can take a percentage of to help balance that budget. So I thought it was really innovative that the FCM group as a caucus were really pushing forward to find a different financial framework that could really help support municipalities across the country. What happens if it doesn't happen now? Because you're in this issue right now in this, we know that provincial and federal governments, when especially when you're talking about fiscal matters, don't usually happen overnight. They take potentially years, decades, potentially yeah. even longer. What do you do in the short term? Well, and that's a tough one because there are so many components to it. Like I said, some of it is collaboration with municipal partners and finding ways that we can find savings in those types of creative solutions. But some of it is just being honest and transparent with our residents, letting them know what the state of affairs is right now, letting them know how much things are costing and being really transparent and purposeful in how we grow projects, how we approve projects, making sure that we're reaching out in different ways to make sure that people understand the restraints that municipalities are in, because the irresponsible thing to do would be to just say, well, we're going to stop raising taxes. And we see what that does. It crumbles infrastructure. It makes us in a position where we're paying way more than if this infrastructure had just been maintained at a proper time frame with a good asset management plan. So I think we need to get in front of people and be really honest and purposeful about what we're talking about and try to help them understand where sacrifices might need to be made because we're at a point in Orangeville going forward where I would say that there's not going to be a lot of wants that are happening. We need to get through the needs and that may mean that we're not going to build that new park or look at how we can improve you know, this parkland because we need to make sure that our roads are okay and that we have clean water for everybody. And that's going to be priority number one and being purposeful about our prioritization. 
I want to turn to my last subject because I just realized we're at the half hour mark and I want to make sure I get to my favorite subject of this conversation. Okay. Because as I've, as I've said to everyone who's come on the show, you come on the show, I'm coming to your community. I'm going to spend my economic dollars in your community in August. We've got a big trip through all of Southwestern uh, Ontario. So we'll be making a pit stop in Orangeville, which I'm really looking forward to, but mayor Lisa, in your opinion, what are some of the hidden gems that tourists need to see when they come to Orangeville? Okay, I love this question because we've got so many. We are the heart of Hills of Headwaters, really. Like the, the Headwaters region, Orangeville is the urban hub of that. So what comes with that is that, well, maybe not right in Orangeville proper, we are completely surrounded by some of the most beautiful lands and waterways that you'll see. So just to our neighbors and in Mono, they've got Island Lake Conservation Area, which I would say is almost Orangeville. <laughs> like you really cross the road and you're at Island Lake. So that's a hidden gem. I mean, there's miles of trails in there um, and it's absolutely the most beautiful area. We're also close to Mono Cliffs, which through the pandemic, there were a lot of people who were coming and walking the cliffs. So we had some major parking issues in Mono with the tourists coming for that. Um, and then just to our south in Caledon, they're really well known for equestrian. We've got a beautiful art gallery at Alton Mill. Um, so there's a lot of arts and culture that happen around us. As a result, we're a bit of the urban hub, but what we've got is the award-winning festivals. We've got our Orangeville Blues and Jazz Festival that you just missed. It was at the beginning of June. Um, we've got a really great local pride event also in June. Ribfest is in July. So we do a lot of really great gathering pieces for the festivals, but we have some of the best restaurants. We really are um, focused on our culinary arts in this area, and we've got beautiful public art so while you're going out to um, eat at one of our restaurants you can walk by our tree sculptures which we've got a guided or a, a self-guided tour of all of our um, wooden tree sculptures we've also got uh, utility box art so all of our a big portion of our utility boxes at stoplights have been wrapped in art by local artists um, which has been a project that we've run through our um, economic development and tourism office um, we've got murals in our recreation centers that are also by local artists. We really try and amplify our local artists, whether it be culinary art, visual art, um, or musical entertaining art. We've got a top-notch theater in Theater Orangeville that you can always watch some amazing productions. It's a professional theater and it's right above my office. So quite often I can hear the songs and music coming from the theater right above me. Um, so yeah, there's lots to see when you stop in Orangeville. Well, I'm looking forward to visiting later on this, sum uh, this summer. Like I said, in August, I'll be there. But what about yourself? After a stressful day, after a long day of work, after a long day of council, where do you go to just decompress and recenter yourself in Orangeville? And yes, you can say your house like every other municipal councillor <laughs> says on the show, but where in the community besides your house do you go? Okay, so there's a couple of spots. I would tell you that I go for a walk on around Island Lake because I absolutely love the trails there at Island Lake. Um, or I'll go to one of my favorite little pubs in town called Tap House. They brew their own beer. They're located on Mill Street. They've got their own little brewery in there and they have the best burgers in town too. Um, or I would go maybe to a theater show. That would be my other one. I love our theater. I love the stuff that we do. So those would probably be my three kind of top spots. 
So I'm going to end on the million dollar question here, uh, Lisa, and it's the most important question that I've asked this entire interview. In your opinion, what makes the town of Orangeville such a unique place to live, to work, and to raise a family? Oh, I love that question. Um, some of it is our geographic proximity, for sure. Like, I think if you're looking for technical terms of why, um, I always joke that we're an hour from everything. If you ask us, like, if you need to go to a big sports event or concert, we're an hour from Toronto. If you want to get to Mississauga, we're under an hour. If you want to go to Barrie, we're an hour. If you want to go to Guelph or Cambridge, we're an hour. <laughs> Newmarket's an hour. So we are, like, literally an hour from everything. Um, and yes, in Canada, we measure everything by time distance not by kilometers um and then the other thing is that we have the best community of people here um there is so much heart in this community um and a lot of that is because we have a great um volunteerism group we've got great service clubs wonderful not-for-profits we're a very people-centric community where when one of our community members is in need, you'll see people rally together. And I know sometimes Facebook groups can be like the most toxic, scary place in the world. But I can tell you, if somebody loses a dog or loses everything in a fire, our community rallies together to fix it. So I think at the end of the day, we are a community of people who care about each other. We love the small town feel. And even though the, the dynamics of our community have changed a lot over the last number of years, we've grown a lot, we are still very much a small town. And I love walking through the grocery store and running into people that I went to high school with and that, you know, that I've known a long time. And I think most of the people in this community feel the same way. Lisa, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for sitting down and doing this. Um, you talk about being sincere, and I want to say this sincerely. Your community is better served with you at the council table. I think municipal politicians don't hear that enough. And in the 40 minutes that we've chatted so far, I can tell that you are sincerely in it for the right reasons. So thank you so much for being part of your community, but for amplifying municipal voices, because I've been watching you on social media and you're doing a fantastic job. And I can't wait to visit Orangeville because you've made it sound like such an amazing place to visit. You are going to love it here, Chris. Thank you for having me. And I hope when you come through town that you you can find my cell phone pretty much anywhere. You give me a call or a text and we'll plan to meet for a beer or something. I would love that. For sure. So with that, this has been the cross-border interviews. As always, put down your phone and go have a conversation with someone for at least five minutes a day. It does help our democracy. It does help our society and helps us be better people at the end of the day. So with that, until next time, just keep talking. The Cross-Border Interviews is a division of Miranda Brown & Associates Incorporated. Music by Peter Galliardi. Executive produced by Christopher Brown and the Honorable Ricardo Miranda. Visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca for more details. Copyright 2013.